Hi there, I'm Lorraine. And I'm Rosie. And we have a very, very special guest today on our podcast, What If? Well, she sold over, what, 25 million books worldwide? Two of her books have been made into movies. She's also a TV producer. We're going to find out all about that from Cecilia Ahern. Cecilia, how good to see you. How are you? Hello, I'm so good. Thank you for having me here. I'm uh, in the same place I've been for a few years now. <laughs> I want to get off this island. <laughs> yeah, we're all, we're all like that. Everybody's like that, aren't we? We're all absolutely like that. Where are you just now? In Dublin, in Ireland. Ah, ah well, there's an awful lot worse places to be. Mm. It's a beautiful city, isn't it? It is gorgeous. And and we were, you know, for a while, weren't allowed to leave our 5K zone. So I wasn't in the worst place either. I'm beside the sea. So that was... Ah, oh, lovely. Gorgeous. Absolutely and gorgeous. Sometimes I went left instead of right. I tried to keep it, you know, funky fresh and exciting. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing about you is it seems to me, you know, when I read your books, um, you're a born storyteller. Where does that come from? Were you told stories when you were a kid? Were you somebody that sort of scribbled stories as a, a you know, when you were at school? Where did all that come from? Um, you know, my my mom will probably hurt if I say I don't really remember her telling me stories. I think it just came from me um, and my imagination. I always, well, I was quite a social child as well. I absolutely loved being alone and playing by myself. I remember I can almost visualize the games that I used to play as if they were real. So um, I lived in my head a lot, wrote diaries every day. I think that was really important. I think I had a very busy head and writing things down helped me figure out, you know, it, it kind of cleared my mind a lot. So even as, an, as a young child, I had a busy head um, and journal writing really helped. Other than that, I'd write songs and short stories and poems and things like that. So, yeah, I think it was just in me from a young age. Mm. And um, you kind of grew up in the public eye with your dad. I'm going to try and pronounce this. It's a T-shock. 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 That's right. That's how to say it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah yes, he was a T-shock right? of, of Ireland. And I guess, what age would you have been then when that, when that um, was all happening? Well, so he was high profile politician for all of my life. You know, of so, mm. you know, Minister for Labour, Minister for Finance. Um, and then T-shock for probably 16. Um, and he was there for oh. 10 years. So it's a long, it's a long stint. So his whole life in politics. Yeah, it's interesting. I think I understand, like, if I was older, I'd really be into it now. <laughs> you know, when you're a teenager, it's like, I'm brought to all these amazing places and, you know, you meet some incredible people. But I was young and I was a teenager, so I was still like, you know, the, the boys still didn't fancy me and I still had to stand at the bus stop getting rained on for school. And so, like, it didn't matter what exciting thing you did. Life just resumed as normal. But um, what I do take from it is that I got to see an awful lot of the inside of places like behind the scenes you know one thing like I loved going to tv studios with him and just every so Sundays was my day with him and you know all those politics shows are on Sundays yes, mm. of so I loved sitting in the studios and looking around and seeing the lighting and the camera work I just thought it was magic you know never wanted to be in front of the camera like you know <laughs> Lorraine <laughs> um but loved just the whole magic of the studio and then the same you know being when he'd have meetings we would meet with the people he was meeting with and we were just present at a lot of things loved playing in his offices didn't really never really wondered what exactly he was doing and it also got us out of our bubble I think that a lot of children are are in you know they don't really leave their bubble so we went to a lot of events with him met a lot of people from different worlds you know heard their stories and so I think it opened up my eyes to the world that I might not have experienced otherwise 
And it's like material, actually, all of that, because all all the experience that you have, you know, no matter what it is, good and bad and, and interesting and, and sometimes dull, all goes towards your rating because it's all coming from, that's the thing about your rating. It's, it's, it reminds me um, of Me Vinci. It's a great story. Do you know what I mean? You get that, that storytelling that you want to find out what's going to happen next. You know, that that's. Yeah. And it, it is very emotional. And I think a lot of it is um, observation. Yeah. I mean, that's. Yep. You know, it's only as I go along, I realize I've always said, I'll get my ideas from observation, from imagination and from experience, you know, and I mix those three things together. But also, I mean, I don't know if you experience this, but if you're related to somebody who's well known, people always look at them and not necessarily you. So if you're walking down the street, you hear the things that people say. You know, like if I'm walking behind my dad, I hear the things that people are saying as he passes by. Yes. I hear every- Do you get that? Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> yeah. People don't kind of see you there. Yeah. It's like they don't realize you're you're with that person and you hear the honesty. So sometimes people think that, you know, in a certain position, you're really sheltered and you don't really see reality. I mean, you hear everything. You hear the good, the bad, the ugly. Mm. <laughs> and so it gives you so much insight, I think, into how what people say and then how people really think. And for, so, again, going back to the inside of things, the behind the scenes of things, what people see and then what what is the truth really helps has helped me with my writing mm. and was there anything other than writing that you wanted to do um from a young age I wanted to be a singer and dancer ah <laughs> um, we will talk about yeah. this <laughs> yeah, yeah. and that was it for you know for my teenage years and then I really concentrated on college and did a degree in journalism and media communications while studying that I realized that I loved um I suppose it was storytelling but it's just a very different kind so I loved the radio broadcasting film studies, TV and TV production. And that's where I wanted to go. So I want, I think I just wanted to be back on those sets that I grew up on. I wanted to have a purpose on a film set. You know, one of those people mm. that look so busy with all their wires and their headphones. And I just think it's the so headset. exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I love the headset. Oh, the headset. Absolutely. You mentioned, you mentioned, yeah, you mentioned the singing um, and you competed in the Eurovision Song Contest. No. That's mad. I yes. didn't. I mean, I, it was not even like we had a national song contest. So you had to get through um, the national song contest before you were even chosen to represent Ireland. So there were 10 of us or eight in the national song contest and we came third. <laughs> so, um, but really, we I think we were people thought we were supposed to win. And we got a record deal. Um, I can't even remember who it was, but it was a UK record label. And we recorded in Pete Waterman Studios and we had blues um, choreographer, choreographer dance. Like they really, they really <laughs> thought we might win. I um, you know, we had the stars and our arses and the glitter in our hair and the, <laughs> and the belly top. We had it all going on. But no, we didn't win. And it was the millenn- it was the year 2000. And of course, the Millennium Song won. So we should have seen that coming a mile yes. away. So, um, I mean, that's part of my what if. I mean, I think it's uh, for for months after that. I mean, it was so embarrassing. I really, really was embarrassed because while everyone was individually so talented as a group, like we were not. It it wasn't any. (laughs) We were never going to take over the pop world. But we were I was quite happy in the end when the the record company let us go, because if they hadn't, that would have been. I think that would have been off. I mean, I wouldn't have returned to college. I wouldn't have put my head down. I wouldn't have decided at that point. I actually don't want to be in that industry. I want to tell stories. I want to be behind the camera. I really want to just focus now on, 
on doing other things. Mm. I got that out of my system and that's that's when that's the book That's a huge, out. huge what if though. What if you had won and gone through to represent Ireland? What was the band called? We were called Shimmer. 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 Yeah, we were very shimmery. And I think it was it was like a steps kind of books phase right, idea. Two, right. two girls, two guys. Um and I, it's not even that we would have gone on to great success because I've no doubt that we wouldn't have. It's it's more like how much we would have been tied in. Like one of the other girls was um in the band was this incredible theatre actress, you know, and there was so much in our contract that was, you know, she wouldn't have been able to perform or record for right. her musical. So many things could have tied us in for so long. Mm. But anyway, ultimately, they did not want us in any way. So they let us go. And that was a good thing. And you were only, I mean, you were very, very young when you wrote your first bestseller. Were you not only about 21? I was 21, yeah. Wow, wow. That, that was P.S. I Love You. That's incredible. I mean, you know, to have, because when you read that book, that, that book is full of wisdom and, you know, a, a really sort of interesting take on a relationship and, and with such depth as, as well. And I just wonder where that came from at the age of 21. That's really remarkable. Yeah, I mean, so I would have been in with you at 23. Um, so I remember, was, I, yeah. Yeah, and it was kind of, it was a low point. And I, I think it's called a, a quarter-life crisis. I don't know if that's the official term, but I've seen it around. You know, in those early 20s, a lot of people can get down or do a lot of soul-searching. I su suffered massively from these panic attacks. And I kind of let them take over for quite a while and just went into myself. And I think, like, like if anyone, if you're going through anything very difficult, I was told a therapist told me that like six in 10 people or four in 10 people experience panic attacks. And I remember in every room I'd go into or the bus or wherever I was, I'd look around and go, who are the other people experiencing this? Because I don't see anybody that looks unhappy or low or odd or panicky or anything. And so I really started examining people and try to figure out. And then people would say to me, but you look fine to me. And I'd be thinking, hmm. I don't feel fine. So I started going on this kind of journey. So feeling quite down, really questioning the world and my identity and, and, and what is my life about if I can't really get out of the house properly and live and be happy and have fun. And then I wrote, that book came into my head and I, and I wrote it. And it's quite a similar journey, I think, to the character who was, though she was grieving the loss of her husband, which I wasn't, she really was on that journey of she'd lost her own identity and she was trying to find hope again. So it's it's interesting. You can grieve in lots of different ways, you know, or you can experience the emotions of grief for lots of different ways. But I thankfully that book helped me out of my rut. And um, by the end of the, the novel or the story, as we all know, she finds hope and happiness. Um, and for me, I had a career. <laughs> like, you yeah. know, I got this book deal and my life utterly changed. So that, and that, it's another what if, you know, what if I hadn't got those panic attacks? You know, they they really stopped me in my tracks and made me look at myself look in, look around, and that helped me become a writer. Wow. It's funny, isn't it? It really is, the way things the way things work out. And, of course, made into a movie. Yeah. As well. Yeah. So what's the journey of that, then, if you have... Does someone approach you and say, I want to make it into a film? Or do you have to um, kind of... Yeah. My agent at the time, like, it was part of what she did. She did film and, and literary rights. So uh -huh. before the book was even published, um, we got this film deal. I mean, I couldn't believe it. Wow. Absolutely. At 21, all this is happening. Yeah, before it even published. <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. Um, but I knew that it was crazy and I knew that it wasn't normal. You know, it, everyone kept saying to me, this isn't normal. You know, things like this never happen. So I knew that. I knew this wasn't going to happen for every novel. And um, But it was so exciting, particularly as another what if moment 
I was going to do a master's in film production and I went in for two days and decided to leave to write P.S. I Love You. Now, now that's a mixture of not feeling it was the right time for me to study anyway. And also this idea is so enormous. I need to throw myself into it and see what happens. So um, and then I left film production, wrote the story, and then there it was becoming a film. So life is really nuts. <laughs> <laughs> and how much um, at, at that age again, and, and it's all new to you. And, and, and again, it's wonderful because it's things that you want to do. But how much as the writer, how much of an input are you allowed to have or, or want to have in something like that? Well, for PSA Love You, absolutely zilch. I had right. no input, you know, to be honest with you, I'm not going to um, sugarcoat it. There was, an, I didn't even read the script. Um, I wasn't even sent the script, actually. <laughs> so there was no involvement in that. But they they brought me to set. I met with the cast, the crew, you know, and I was involved in all the, the junkets and the press and the premieres. So that side of it, I was involved. And then everything that came after, I had a little bit more involvement in everything, uh, whether it was just talking to the writer about what, what I felt were the main messages of the story, but not a huge amount of creative input until until really this point. And something that's been adapted, um, this is the highest position I've been right now in the project I'm working on now. But anything else that I've created that's an original work, I've either produced myself. So um, I don't know, does that make sense? Did I explain yes, properly? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's, it's funny because so many people read a book and then watch the film and they, they say, oh, well, it's nothing like the book. <laughs> What's that like if you're the author of the book? I, I've read enough books and seen the films to know that they can be very different. So I think with P.S. I Love You, I was just so happy by the moments that were similar, you know, by the by the fact that they came to Ireland at all, you know, and they, mm. they injected that kind of Irish sensibility into it because it could have just been all Hollywood, you know, it could have been a very different story, you know, and I was just so happy that they had the message of it and that the same heart, you know, the same feeling that you got from reading the book, you got from watching the film, whether you prefer one or the other is kind of, you know, you can't win on that. But mm. but I, that was what I was most excited about. But I think as years go by, I realise there are certain, sometimes in certain projects I've done, my voice has been lost. And while I get really excited about other people's interpretations and reimaginings, that's brilliant. Sometimes there are some elements that need to stay or it's not, not yours at all. Mm. So I think that's why I've decided to try and have more involvement as the years go by. Tell us about what you're involved with just now, because it sounds absolutely fascinating. And, and I always love the fact when women are taking charge of, of projects, because that's the only way that things will change. You know, people talk a lot about inequality, particularly in, in Hollywood. And the only way it will change is if women do it themselves, you know, and they step up. That, that, that's it. So, so tell, give us an insight into what's going on. So Roar is a collection of short stories I wrote about, that was published probably about three or four years ago. And there's 30 stories about 30 women. And it's about that transitional moment in your life where you're going through something that's quite difficult and you suddenly overcome it. You make a decision to step up and make a change and become bigger and stronger. And they're very short stories about a snapshot of that moment where you find your inner Roar and your inner strength. They've been made now by Nicole Kidman's company, Blossom Films. Oh, yes, we've heard of her. <laughs> And made up stories. And these two companies have worked together on Big Little Lies and Nine Perfect Strangers and The Undoing. So, and Bruna Papandrea is the head of Made Up Stories. And they are very much focused on creating women-centric stories, just as you've said, putting women at the heart of stories, which wasn't really happening. You know, we're so used to seeing the wife, the girlfriend, or the woman in the story kind of helping assist the male story. 
So everything they've done is female centric. So this will be a TV series for Apple Plus, Apple TV Plus. There's eight episodes. They're half hour episodes and they have a phenomenal cast. I will tell you them. Um, <laughs> we have Cynthia Erivo, who's amazing. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, there's Mira Sayal, who I love. Oh, mm. she's fantastic. Yeah. Yes. Eric Weaver. Yep. Uh, Alison Brie. Betty Gilpin, Ooh. both. If you if you watch Glow, then you'll know those yeah. actors. Yes. And um, who am I forgetting? <laughs> oh, and there's some people that we, we just haven't announced yet. So um, <laughs> it's just an amazing. It's so exciting. Very it, very. Exciting. It is. It really is. And what I love about you is you are so you are excited about it. You know, <laughs> there, there is that. You know, you're not sort of like oh yeah. You know, Nicole's on the phone again, annoying me. You know. <laughs> It's like a big deal. It is a big deal, Cecilia. This is a huge deal. This is fantastic. It's very exciting. And I can't, I'm not going to play a cool. I'm genuinely no. excited. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. Can we talk about the, the new book? Because, Rosie, I know you wanted to talk about that. Well, I wanted to go back to the pop singer days. Oh, yes, yes, let's do Um And the Westlife link. Oh, yes. I will let you explain this. My Westlife link is that my brother-in-law um, is Nicky Byrne from Westlife. He's married mm. to my sister, Georgine. Um, they've been together since school, since Aww. they were 14. Aww, that's lovely. So, which is lovely. So they are definitely, you know, young, young love. Um, they've three kids together now. So he's my big brother, definitely. I, I was the gooseberry. I used to be allowed to go out with them all the time and just feel like pretend I was a grown-up as they drove around. So yeah, he's lovely. And are you going to mention about <laughs> he's he's kind of inspired my new novel? Yes. Um, he's taken we were, all the credit. Yeah, we were so interested in that. He is taking all the credit, actually. So what was it that Nikki said to you that kind of sparked this new book? So a couple of years ago, he said to me, and it, I think it was like a polite way of telling me that I was morphing into my mother. Oh. He said to me, you, <laughs> you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So choose carefully. And as soon as he said that to me, my mind just came alive. It was like, ping, ping, ping. Um, I just found it such an interesting phrase that made me think about myself, instantly made me think of a character and a storyline. And like within an hour of him saying it, everything came together. So it is a business motivational phrase by someone called Jim Ron. Um, like in very simple terms, you know, if you surround yourself by successful people, you, you yourself will be successful. Hmm. Uh, but I wanted to take it a little bit further. So I, in my new novel, Freckles, I created a character whose nickname was Freckles, who hears this expression and immediately examines the five people in her life and what their characters say about who she is. And not quite satisfied with what she discovers, she realizes if she reaches out to a specific set of five people, then she can become the average of them and she can therefore be a better, you know, more well-rounded person and she can reshape who she is, that she's in control of her own destiny by the people that she surrounds herself by. So she reaches out to somebody in sports, somebody in business, somebody in politics, somebody from her past that she wanted to always connect with. And, and a kind of a mystery fifth person I won't reveal. But it is about her, a very unusual person who um, wants to find somewhere to belong. You know, she wants to find her tribe. Like we all do, like we absolutely all do. But that is absolutely fascinating. You know what's going to happen when people are reading this book? Of course, we're all going to go away and say, who are the five people that we spend the most time with? And what sort of knock-on effect does that have? And, you know, it's so interesting because I don't know about you, but during this whole pandemic, I think we've all rethought 
a little bit about our relationships with one another. And and interesting, you say that your character reaches out to somebody in our past and wants to, because a lot of us have kind of lost touch with really important people in our pasts and we've been trying to, to mend that. I mean, it might not be that anything happened. It's just that people lose touch, don't they? But that is a really brilliant concept and, and really does make you think. I think that you also, if you, I think it's an answer that will keep changing. As you said, you know, people in your life change. And if you move, so it's not the five people who shape your whole life, which I think is a different question. You can mm. say, oh, my you know, favorite auntie was always so supportive and sure. that's lovely. Those precious people always stay. But if it's the people that you spend the most time with, then if you change job, if you move neighborhood, if you even change your daily routine, even the slightest bit, um, then your five people can also change. So so maybe it's the person you have a chat with at the bus stop every morning who, who makes you think about something that you never thought or someone who does your nails that you have a lovely chat with all the time um, or, you know, someone who gives you coffee. So it's kind of perhaps you're spending more time with those people than you would with your own family members having bigger and larger conversations and they're helping to shape your thoughts. It was interesting to me because it just meant that the answer could keep changing at the different phases of your life. And you could look back and go, wow, did I make who was in my life when I was like that, when I made those decisions and I went down that route. So hopefully it does make the reader think, too. Hmm. It's funny. This might be a very weird question, but with a lot of books that people buy, they buy them to you know read on holiday, read to for entertainment. I think some maybe with yours actually makes people like you were saying, it makes people think. Was that something that you wanted to do rather than just make people go, oh, that was lovely? It'll be like, oh, no, I'm going to actually change my ways. Yeah, that is a very good question, because even though I finished my last statement saying um, or my last answer saying, if it does make people think that's great. I mean, it isn't my intention, I have to say. The most important thing is that it makes me think, um, because mm-hmm. you know, it's quite, quite a selfish writer. It has to be I have to, you know, invest my time in something that moves me and something that intrigues me and something that I can find juice and meat and plot and everything. And then the bonus is. If people do start looking at their own life and get something positive out of it, then that is amazing. But it's not the intention. Um, Mm. It just happens that they're the things that kind of really move me. Mm. But you must get, and it must be really interesting as well, to get the feedback from your readers. Because I think books can touch you in a way that even the best cinema or television or or radio or podcast or whatever can, because it is a very unique relationship you have with the writer of the book that you're reading at that time. So, you know, to get that feedback must be really gratifying, actually. Excellent point, because I feel that I am in such an you know privileged position that when I meet people they really open up and they share things with me that they wouldn't otherwise and I and it's not it's nothing to do with me but the book has done something it came to them at a certain point of their life where it really meant something to them it either helped them through something or it made them look at something in a new way and they get very emotional about it I mean back in the good old days when we were allowed to have book signings <laughs> hopefully they come back um, <laughs> Some people would be very emotional, very, you know, shaking and upset or they want to share with you how much your book meant to them. And that is an incredible place to be. And I mean, most of the time, all I can do is listen. There's nothing more that I can say and say thank you for sharing that with me. But um, yeah, I I think makes it's that amazing connection. You know, books are kind of magic and they do connect us in ways that you just can't even imagine. 
And home is definitely Dublin, of course. But I guess when you're allowed to, you know, you will be hopping backwards and forwards. As you put your sort of producer's hat on, there'll be more and more of that sort of lifestyle. Um, And obviously, you know, for both you and your husband and, and having the children, you'll have some decisions to make in the future, I guess. Yeah, I really will. And um, I'm writing a TV series now um, myself, which is kind of the first one I've written entirely myself. And, you know, if that all goes ahead, then there'll be a lot more to do in that world. And it is something I thought about during um, now I was writing it before pandemic, but during it, you know, when the bookshops closed and um, who knew what was going to happen, I I did start questioning, well, what if will I always have this job? You know, will, will I always be able to write? Well, it just, everything was so uncertain. And I started looking elsewhere at things that I could do and different ways of telling stories. So it's kind of, um, I'm, and I'm also almost 40. And I think that I have to move into a new phase of my life and take on a new challenge. But I, I can't imagine ever leaving here forever. I love Ireland just, but, but like you say, the back and forth may happen a bit more. Yeah, of course. I can't believe you're nearly 40. That's I know. Honestly, you, you, you look so, so young. Is that just luck? Or do you work really hard? (laughs) It's a filter on my camera. (laughs) (laughs) No, but you always have. You've always you always have looked really, really youthful. It's great. I honestly think it's because obviously, you know, you look great, but as well it's it's what's inside you. You you are obviously somebody that's curious about everything. Oh, thank you. I don't know how to take that. I feel a million years old, so thank you. Um I don't know. I, I feel I'm quite childish. I love playing. I love imagination. I think that helps. I love playing with my kids. Sometimes they leave the room and I'm still playing with their toys. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that that's the, the youthfulness you're seeing. But um, it, that's kind of hidden by a lot of wrinkles right now. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. I think you look absolutely brilliant. And, um, and it's just, you know, it's one of those things about writing. I think you would have written anyway. You know, it's brilliant that you found an audience, but I think writers are writers. Whether yeah. or not, you know, there's so many writers that don't get published, but I think it's just something that you are a writer, whether or not you're lucky enough to get your book published or talented enough to get your book published. But it is, it's something that you have to do. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I find that, um, you know, I'm so lucky to have these contracts, you know, where I would, you know, deliver a book a year. And I'm so grateful for that. But I love that on the side, sometimes I just write something that's that nobody might ever see. You know, it's just something for mm. myself, which is where Roar came from, by the way, just these kind of short stories I was writing for myself in between novels um, or at the end of the day or in the morning, just for me. So it is that, that makes it all the better. You know, it really is a joy to have a job that you love, that I love. Mm, no, very much. I love the fact, I love Roar, the whole idea of Roar and, you know, it's that kind of Helen Ready thing. I am women here. I am women here, me Roar. You know, it's that. You're absolutely right. I, I had that, um, <laughs> that is the first quote that you'll read when you open the book. It's it's Helen Ready's quote. So. Yeah, of course it Roar. is. It's great. And long may you, long may you Roar, that's for sure. Mm. So we end each episode by getting guests to tell us their biggest fail, regret and win. So we will start with fail. Um, I kind of mentioned it already. So I think that um, whenever I begin something, I finish it. And my kids, you know, are so annoyed at me saying, you know, mommy never gives up. What does mommy say? Never give up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I'm real gung-ho about beginning something and finishing it. But I think the fact that I began that master's in film production and didn't finish it, to me, is like that's something that I did that I never finished. And that seems to be, you know, comes up in interviews and sometimes it's printed. And when I see it, I go, oh, she dropped out. She dropped out before she finished her. You dropped out for a very good reason. For a very good reason. And you're living it. You're doing it. No course. No course on God's earth could teach you at all what you're doing right now. I mean, you're, 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 you're living it, you know. 
I'm not necessarily ashamed of the fail, but I do think <laughs> it is something that I started that I never fit. Yeah, yeah mm. I get that. I, I get, get that. that. I do. I, I know exactly, exactly what you mm. mean. And what about regret? I do regret not asking my grandparents enough about them and their lives. Because to me, they're the only people in my life that are gone, gone, never come back. And there's so much now as an older woman that I would love to know about them. You know, about mm. my mom's mom who had 11 children in like a two bedroom house. Or you know, my dad did that show, Who Do You Think You Are? Which is amazing. So interesting to look into his parents' lives and how much I'd, I'd love to have just sat with them and asked them yeah. about their lives. That's a huge regret. I was I was young, you know, um, mm. but I wish I was a teenager who cared a bit more when they were around and I could have oh, really I, asked. I couldn't agree with you more. I wish that as well. I wish I'd I wish I'd also taped my grandmother and my great grandmother because they had all of these amazing phrases. I'm sure it's the same in Ireland, isn't it? All these amazing words, different words, different phrases, different different speech patterns, you know, all of that. And their and their memories. That's I'd really relate to that, Cecilia. I really do. I feel exactly the same. So anybody, talk to your grannies and your granddads. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to them and get their stories, get their stories. (laughs) And what about uh, your win? Yeah. So this could either be moving or or not. So (laughs) either $1,000 that I won in a slot machine in Vegas. Ooh. Or it's my husband. Oh, no, that's lovely. Well, you can have both. They can both be your win. You won and you won in Vegas. Nobody wins wins in in Vegas. Vegas. (laughs) Well, I probably didn't win in the end because it, it went. Okay, yeah, <laughs> you, you put it all back in again. That's the nuisance. But still, you you had that moment. Did it come out of a slot machine? Did it just all this money? Oh, oh my god! Broken the machine. <gasps> no, the, the light goes off at the top like a siren. It's like bing, bing, bing. And I stepped away from it, mortified that I'd broken it. And these these ladies started moving towards it with their buckets in their hand. And I was like, no, wait, that's my win. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like the movies where all the coins come slashing down. Yeah. Because to you get um, a token and then you go and get your money so that is like the biggest amount of money I've ever won but I think I, I yeah it was Vegas so I remember waking up the next morning with a room service trolley in the room I think we'd ordered everything on the menu excellent <laughs> good and um and had fun that night but yeah we didn't invest it wisely into anything it was room <laughs> service <laughs> That's okay. And then you mentioned your lovely husband, and that's good. Husband, who was the man in Vegas with me? Um, <laughs> well, I met him when I was 19, and we were in a hip hop night in HQ in, in a nightclub. And um, <laughs> this is another what if. He asked me for my number, and I said no. I was sure he was there with someone else, which we still argue about. But anyway, and then I met him two weeks later, randomly at a party, and he asked me out again, and I said yes. So I do think he's my biggest win. (laughs) Oh, what a lovely win. We love that. Mm. Cecilia, what a joy to talk to you. Good luck with Freckles. Um, I'm sure again, it's 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 it obviously it's on its way to be a huge, massive bestseller. We might well see that as a movie, as a movie too. I just imagine who would get cast in Freckles. It'll either be somebody with lots of freckles, or somebody that'll have to go to makeup and get loads and loads of wee dots mm. <laughs> over themselves. But thank you for joining us. Really appreciate thank it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.